with me to this chapter. It's Numbers uh, 21. That's where we are. We're making progress. Not too quick, but we're moving forward one slow step at a time. Numbers chapter 21. Let's take a gander at what this episode was like as Israel is in her wilderness wandering. Numbers chapter 21. Not too many verses tonight, but key verses with which I'll bet you are familiar. So verse 1, when the Canaanite, Canaanite are people who live in the land of Canaan. And that is uh, also referred to as Israel, you might say, and some refer to it as Palestine. And that's a discussion for another day at any rate. Uh, Canaanites, is a, that's a general term for all the different people groups who then lived in the land. You've heard of the Girgashites and the Hittites, all these ites. They're all under the umbrella of the Canaanites. So when the Canaanite king of Arad, Arad is a place in the Negev Desert, the southern part of Israel, you can go to a place today called Tel Arad or the Hill of Arad, which some think is this location. Whether it is or not, I surely don't know for certain. But at any rate, a Canaanite king in a place called Arad lived in the Negev. It's in the southern part of Israel. You can travel in the Negev Desert today. It's much like it was probably in this day. Not much has changed, actually. You still see nomadic peoples, and you see camels and all the rest, and you see shepherds with their sheep. It's quite an interesting sort of a thing. And Negev means uh, south or dry, and that's what it is. It's the most southern area in Israel, and it is plenty arid and dry. So when this Canaanite leader in this area heard that Israel was coming by way of Atarim, we don't know where that is. Um, it's a lost um, roadway, pathway, somehow it was a means of travel. The Canaanite king heard Israel is on the way, this way, and so he fought against Israel and even took some of them captive. So you ask yourself the question, God, you delivered these people and you promised them by grace alone a land of promise. Why are things so difficult? If you're good and if you're sovereign, why don't you keep this sort of thing from happening? This is the why question which plagues all of us. We all ask it. Oh, God, if you're there, why is this happening to me here? Oh, God, if you are good, why is this which is bad? Why has it befallen me? So let me give an answer. It's much more tricky than than uh, I can give now, but in this case, Israel is soon, very soon, going to cross over into the land of promise. There she will encounter many who oppose her. She cannot afford to think for one moment she could take possession of the land in her own strength. She has to be rendered weak so that she could be strong. It's even a New Testament principle advanced by the Apostle Paul. When I'm weak, I'm strong. The problem is 
We think we're stronger than we in fact are. Really, we're frail. And to remind Israel of how frail she is, uh, just short of her entrance into the promised land, God, who is there, who is sovereign, and who is good, has to use as a vehicle this Canaanite king to give Israel a healthy sense of her own inadequacy. It's the opposite of what the world tells us to do today. The world says, believe in yourself. That is the worst thing you could possibly... Are you kidding? You know who... You're not going to... Listen, if anything, believe in the person sitting next to you. You got a better shot of that person. To, look at you. What do you mean believe in your... That's not good. You know, we tell our kids that. And then when they find out they can't bring into being what they want to bring into being, then they don't have anyone else to believe in. We told them believe in themselves, and they have, and it hasn't worked out. Now they don't have any place to go. Oh, no. We have to be persuaded that we need outside help. And one of the most persuasive ways for that message to sink in is for us to be defeated, to suffer some loss, to be brought low, to be reduced. And so that's exactly what's happening here. So Israel made a vow, verse 2, to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, uh, Moses is actually speaking, then I will utterly destroy their cities. So this is quite significant. Earlier on in Israel's trek in the wilderness, they were at this very spot, and they were defeated by these very people. Numbers 14 records it. Here they are back again. You know, they went in circles. So here they are back again. But now they're going to do things differently. Being back in the same spot reminded them, oh my, when we turn from God, look what happens. So now they're in familiar territory. Thoughts are triggered in their mind. We don't want to approach this the same way. So now they make their appeal to God. And that's the safest place to be utterly dependent on Almighty God for everything. Utterly dependent on Almighty God for everything. That's the safest place to be. So now they cry out to God, and they say, if you grant us victory, we will, we will um, d destroy, we will deliver this people. Uh, uh, if you deliver them into our hand, we'll destroy all the cities. Now, what does that mean? The Hebrew word there, destroy, means to devote. It means what we'll do is we'll devote all of this to you. We'll make an offering, O great, most high God, of all of this that they possess. If you give them into our hand, we will, we will give it to you as if it's an offering, a thanksgiving offering to you. We will take none of it for ourselves. So that's what they say. Well, the Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and thus the name of the place was called Hormah, which means destruction, to destroy. Well, then they set out from Mount Hor. Remember, that's where Aaron was laid to rest. They did this by the way of the Red Sea to go around, around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. In fact, the people spoke against God and Moses. They said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, 
We loathe this miserable food. Does that sound familiar? That's un- it is unbelievable. Here they go again. Let's be sympathetic for just a second. Um, it's been 40 years. It's the desert. It's hot. It's dry. It's arid. Water at times was scarce. They've been opposed by folks on every front. They're so close to the promised land now. In fact, from the heights of Mount Hor, they could even have a glimpse into it. So near and yet so far. And now they have to take the long way around because these Edomites would not let them travel, remember we spoke about it, on a major north-south road, the King's Highway, through their land. They wouldn't let them go. So they have to go south. Right now they're south of the Dead Sea. They have to go all the way down to a place called Elat. You hear it in the news. It's a good place if you want to go scuba diving and all the rest. And uh, it's in the southern part of Israel. They have to go south to Elat. Then they got to go east a little bit. Then they got to go north. And then they run into Edomite territory. It's in present day Jordan. It's on the other side of the Jordan River Valley. And now they got to go all the way east before they can go back north and west across the Jordan River Valley into the land of promise. And let's be a little sympathetic. These people are tired of it all, they're tired of the journey. If these Edomites would simply have let them travel through their territory, they could be there in the land of promise finally. They could settle in no longer a nomadic existence. They could set up shop, their homes. They could be established. And so so I am a little sympathetic, as I know you could be too, how disappointing this must have been. But though that's the case, we cannot excuse their response. We loathe this miserable food. Well, on the basis of that miserable food, they've been sustained by a gracious God for 40 years. It was manna, which no one had ever seen before. God spoke it into existence to feed these grumbling, dissatisfied complaining people. I loathe, they say, this miserable food. Well, we can understand the outburst, but I don't think we could excuse it. You know what it is? It's an illustration of what's in them and by generalization what's in us. We can understand the burdensome nature of the circumstances, but the circumstances did not produce something in them. The circumstances revealed what's already in them. And what is it? Three, three letters. It's sin. I understand the harshness of the circumstances and and, and I'm sympathetic, but the circumstances are not to blame for their response. What's in them is what it's all about. The circumstances revealed a sinful inclination which to, brought them to such an extent that they complained to the very God who had so graciously sustained them for these 40 years. And folks, sin 
has consequences. And here it is, verse 6. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Fiery serpents, snakes. We don't know if they're referred to as fiery because the venom with which they afflicted the people caused a burning pain. That could be it, but it also could be it's a reflection of their orange, fiery-like color. They probably were a kind of adder because adders, poisonous snakes like this, are still prevalent in the Sinai even today. We don't know exactly, but this is exactly the consequence of their own sin, poisonous snakes. And so uh, in response, verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Folks, they sinned, they suffered, they sincerely repented. This is legit. <laughs> they called it what it was. We have sinned. And the suffering which God sent their way uh, is the very thing that moved them to repentance. I remember when I became a Christian, my relatives, some, said to me, you have done this because you reached such a point of desperation because of the bad choices you've made in your own life. To which I said, you got it. You got it. That is right. And then I said to them, and who do you reach out to in your desperation? For me, it's a living Savior, you see. But anyway, so the Lord moved them through to repentance. And so verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, here's what he said. Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Odd. Look and live. But such a st strange remedy for their sin. Look, upon, look up on this pole and there's a... Snakes are biting us. Look at this snake and, and, that's, and we're going to live? It's odd. It's so odd that it would really require faith, wouldn't it? They would have to do something that didn't have a full appeal to their comprehension. They couldn't wrap their thoughts entirely around it. It would be inconceivable this, that God would, do, would choose this means of provision, this remedy for this sin. It just would not, it wouldn't compute. And so if they did look up to the serpent on the pole... You, you see, it would be a manifestation, not of the healing power of the serpent. We're not talking about sorcery or magic here. It, it would be an indication of the fact that God provided a healing remedy contingent by his grace and contingent upon their 
look of faith, their upward look of faith, you see? And so Moses, verse 9, made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it did, it came about. If the serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he would live. So tell me if, I, if I'm okay with this. If I told you, I think this is a reference to the Lord Jesus. Well, are you one of those, would you say, you know, that's typical. You Christian, you, you people, you just make him appear everywhere, don't you? You mean you just read his presence into everything. You're just fanatics. You just toy with the text. You toy with biblical literature. You make the Bible say what you want it to say. Jesus wasn't even around. This is Old Testament. You Christian, that's what you do. You lay your trip, your interpretation. We're talking about a snake in the desert, in the book of Numbers. What has Jesus got to do with it? Some people might say that. And they would be right, except for what Jesus said. Forget about what Stuart says. John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, the words of Jesus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Numbers chapter 21, folks, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, you can say Stuart is uh, prone to gross misinterpretation of the text. And that's all right. I'm not anybody's savior. But you better tread lightly. If you cast doubt and aspersions upon what the Lord Jesus is assigning to this obscure text in Numbers 21. He is saying, you are reading about me. He is saying, nobody is permitted an overlay on the scriptures that is invalid. I am authorizing you to see a foreshadowing of me in the book of Numbers. You must not see the book of Numbers as being archaic, irrelevant, and obsolete. Oh, no. You are seeing in the book of Numbers a redemptive plan which my father and I have conceived from before time so as to offer a remedy for you who are bitten by the serpent known as sin. This is a reference to the Lord Jesus. Look, folks, I have a sin nature. So do you. Mine comes out at times. So, so do yours. Circumstances do not produce my sin. I cannot blame it on the environment or whatever. Circumstances do not produce my sin. Circumstances reveal that I am conceived in sin. Circumstances simply bring out what is already in there. 
This being the case, God, who is without sin, holy in fact, would be justified in letting me and you die in your sin, in our sin. But he does not. Instead, he provided a remedy for our sin problem. Jesus was sent down so that Jesus, in obedience, would be lifted up on a cross. Impaled on a cross. He condescended as he descended by taking on human enfleshment, though retaining the essential nature of deity, and he permitted mere mortal man to falsely accuse him, falsely try him, and expose him to the most excruciating form of capital punishment devised by humankind. He was lifted up from earth onto a cross for me and for you. He is the remedy. But so unusual. Look, the Israelites are bitten by snakes. And so what does God suggest as the remedy? Lift up a snake and look at it. Fiery snakes bite. He commands Moses to put a fiery snake on a pole. That's going to be the remedy. It's odd. Until you think of Jesus. And then you find out that he who knew no sin became sin in order to be the solution to our sin problem. Look up on the cross and you see the otherwise sinless Son of God upon whom the totality of the sin of humankind has been placed. It's just as odd, it's just as unusual, it's just as necessary. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So we see the parallel to the account in Numbers chapter 21. You know, people have a natural revulsion to snakes. I know some people like snakes, but let's just say they are statistically not normal. <laughs> let's just face it. Nobody likes, everyone has a natural revolt. Maybe it comes from Genesis. I, I guarantee the Israelites had a natural revulsion to snakes. They remembered the Genesis account. Remember? The evil one took the form of a snake. He got things rolling off to a bad start right at the outset. Nobody wants a pet as a snake except, okay, never mind. There's some strength. It's a... It, it's a contemptible sort of a thing, a snake. And what an, an odd symbol for God, therefore, to use. You, you see, people would naturally shrink away from it in revulsion. They, they would just be so uncomfortable by it. And yet God said, stop backing away. Come near and look upon it for the remission of your sin problem. And today, some find the cross just as contemptible, just as repulsive. 
Have you not heard people say, how could it be if this God of yours is so good that he would have had his own son impaled, pierced through on a cross? Ooh, just the thought of it. Once I was sharing with one of my unsaved relatives this whole notion of the blood of Jesus for the remission of sin, and the relative said, oh, stop with all this blood talk. It's so detestable. It's so unsavory. It's so uncivilized. It's so necessary. It is so required. It is so graciously provided. Yeah, it's a miserable thing what happened on the cross. Misery resided upon the shoulders of the one there who didn't deserve it. Yes, the whole concept is incomprehensible. Yes, it doesn't make sense that one such as he would die for ones such as us. I understand that. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. But it's none of the above. It's grace and it is mercy of an amazing extent such that you can't even wrap your mind around it. Uh, the very God who died on it and rose up from it has to enable us even to receive it and, under, and understand such an incomprehensible message. The Israelites were not given options. They had one, one means of rescue, and so too it is true today. Jesus said, I am the way. He's not a way amongst other potential ways of reconciliation to Almighty God. They had one, look up to the serpent on this pole. That's it. And today, we're called upon to look upon the Lord Jesus, embrace him with eyes of faith, so as to be saved by his shed blood. Today, people so marvel at the strangeness of the remedy that they deny it. Better to marvel instead at the grace of God who provided it. Nothing but grace is behind it. So the people asked for the removal of the snakes, if you recall. Verse 7, they went to Moses. They said, intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. But do you notice God did not remove the serpents? He didn't get rid of them. He provided instead a remedy for their sting, a remedy for the sting of death. So the people could have accepted it, or here's what they could have done. They could have denied the presence of the snakes. <laughs> they could have said, snakes? I don't see any snakes. Ooh, what, what's that? I didn't. I don't. I don't see. But that's what people do today, do they not? Is to deny the reality of sin. We don't have a sin nature, it's said. We're born as blank slates. We make some, we make mis today we make mistakes. <laughs> we do not commit sin. <laughs> we make mistakes. We just deny the existence of sin. We're all good. We're all good. We're all going to heaven. That's the way it is. We're all good. You see what I mean? That's one possibility. You could deny that there are snakes. The second thing, the people could have... Uh, they could have tried to fight the snakes or run away from them. 
And that's the equivalent of what we all do today, what a lot of people are doing today, and that is to try to gain mastery over the sin problem without the Savior at the helm. So we read self-help books, and, you know, we engage in humanitarian efforts, and, you know, we, 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 we do good deeds to try to persuade ourselves that, in fact, we have no, no sin problem, we... We go through all kinds of intricate gyrations. We psychologize everything. You know, there's no more, no more sin in the world. So we could take steps to try to, to, to try to win victory over the sin problem without recourse to the Savior. And then another thing that people could have done, they could have persuaded themselves, this is happening today, that the snakes are really not that bad. Well, that's happening. So, I, you know, so what's wrong with two consenting adults who happen to be of the same gender getting married? What's wrong? Tell me. What's wrong with a, a man who's expressed his love to one woman, satisfying his physical needs with many? Everyone's doing it. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with an adult having relations with a child? Do you know that's happening? Do you, do, do you know there's an organization that actually is sponsoring that? Called the National Association of Man-Boy Love. And you ready young ones for relationships later. Do you know that? Does that sound crazy to you? No. Snakes aren't that bad. Let's just redefine it. It's just the way people provide... Security and affiliation for one another, you know? Let's just, let's just redefine. Those snakes, somebody told, who said these snakes are bad? These snakes aren't bad. I watch the Home and Garden Channel. Folks, it's not exactly your triple X, middle of the night, HBO, who knows what. It's the Home and Garden, give me a break. I watch House Hunters. It's not very racy. House hunters. And the combination of people today who are looking for a home together is mind-boggling. It's, it's a heterosexual couple not married. Hi, my name is so-and-so. This is my boyfriend. We've discussed marriage, and we're planning for it somewhere down the road, but right now... We're concentrating on buying our house together. You know, it's five o'clock at night, folks. It's, it's not the middle of the night. You don't have to, you know, I don't, you don't, it's not the shadowy, dark, you know, it's not a, it's the home and garden. And you, and you go, oh, I guess that snake of premarital relations is, not, who said it's a snake? Maybe it ain't so bad. And then you get so-and-so and his life partner for, so-and-so has been life partners for 25 years, and they look great, and they're happy, and they're just enjoying life, and they're, everything is groovy. You start, well, maybe that snake ain't that bad. You know, who am I? Who am I to call it a snake? You know, you know what I'm talking about? And it just goes on and 
on and on. See, all these are human, all these are man-made remedies for dealing with sin, with snakes. But every man-made remedy has failed. Welcome to today. Every man-made remedy. We're not, we don't have economic problems. We don't have to worry. It's not terrorism. It's not political stuff. It's snakes. They bite because of my invitation. I've sinned while living in God's world. I struck out at God in the same way these people did. I told God, hang it on your beak. I told him, I suppose there's something out there that gave me life, but that's about the extent of it. I'll live it the way I want to. Snakes, 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 snakes. So no, I have to try to fight them in my own strength, or I have to deny they're even there, or I have to persuade myself they aren't so bad, and that's what's happening. There's more legislation coming from the halls of Congress today justifying immoral behavior, snakes, than I have ever seen in my 60 years, 61 years on this planet. Are you kidding me? States like California, the Department of Education, are mandating, not allowing, mandating that students be exposed to homosexuality as a very, very legitimate life. There's already textbooks. I have two mommies. That's a textbook. Please don't misunderstand. I don't want to crucify anybody. What the, the crucified one did is enough for all of us. But folks, I can't retranslate a snake and make it a, a little bunny rabbit. It's killing us. We're getting the venom. We're on fire. We're burning with seething. It's not the fires in Magnolia or Bastrop. It, all these environmental th Snakes. It's sin. It's sin. It's sin. It's all around. It's all around. It's all in high places and low places and all the rest. And God should wipe us all out, but he doesn't. No, he wants to persuade us that the cure for, for sin is not within us. He wants to persuade us that sin can be cured by looking away from ourselves and instead looking to God. One lifted up serpent was enough for everybody in the camp. On a pole, so that no matter where you were positioned in the encampment, you could see. A gracious God made the remedy accessible to everyone in the camp. One fiery serpent as a substitute for snake bite. One was enough for everyone. And one sacrificed son of God is enough for Jews, for Muslims, for males, for females, for black and white, for poor and rich, for old and young. One, one, one. This is a day of astounding
uh, theological and political correctness. You know, our president's going to participate in a service, 9-11 service. He, he should. I think at the National Cathedral in Washington. Um, interestingly, none of our ministerial staff received an invitation to the event. Did you get yours in the mail, Brother Chuck? I didn't, I didn't get mine just yet. But one person who got one is a, a lady, a female Buddhist cleric, and then a Muslim musician, and then a Hindu, whatchamacallit, and then some hokey rabbi, and forgive me, <clears throat> and uh, some everybody, but interestingly, Southern Baptists are noticeable by their absence. What happened to us all of a sudden? We fall off the earth or something? We represent a constituency of millions. I want to know how many female Buddhist clerics there are. How'd she get her invitation? I didn't get mine. Good night. If he invited me, he'd be able to check off a bunch of stuff. We got a Jewish guy. We got a this. We got a short guy. You know, you got the... So, so, so... You see, it's all this, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, something for everyone. We got the males, we got the females, we got the this, we got the that, you got, we got everything. One, one Jesus lifted up on a cross for the female Buddhist cleric, for the Southern Baptist, for the Muslim imam, for the Orthodox rabbi, one, one remedy lifted up on, on, on a pole. It's not very, it's not very theologically, politically correct today, but I, I'm just reading numbers to it. There's only one, one pole, and the Lord Jesus said, that's me. There's only one, there's only one of me. You know, if you were bitten in that camp, you know what you could do for yourself? Zippo. If you were bitten, you're dying. You're incapacitated. You may be paralyzed with pain. Remember, fiery. It's venom. They're poisonous snake. They're still there. You get bit by one of those, it's over for you, painfully. So that means you were not able to make your way to the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice for your sin. You know what you could do for yourself? Nothing. Maybe, maybe you could look up to what God had done for you. Don't you see what Almighty God has done? You talk about a level playing field. You talk about an inclusive message. Regardless of limitations, prejudices, disadvantages, deprivations, diseases, and all the rest, look to Jesus. You can look to Jesus. You could see him impaled on a cross. You could see him there for you. You could do that. You bear burdens. You can barely crawl. You're hurting emotionally, psychologically, whatever it is. You've had a rough life, whatever it is. That's right. And that's why God requires nothing. Just look and live. Just look and live. No matter where you are in the... Do you feel on the out? Yeah, but you can still see the one who is lifted up. You can't come near. He came near 
Can you see him? Can you look to him? Can you see him look down to you? Can you see him nodding his head? Can you see him saying, I'm doing this for you. I want to. I choose to. Me for you. Are you for me? Look. Don't look away. That's what Jesus did. And then later on, something terribly surprising took place in Israel's history. It's recorded for us in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. King Hezekiah took this action. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it. They took the bronze serpent down and they worshipped it. And in so doing, they focused on the symbol instead of the reality. They called themselves Christians. They wear crosses and they go to church on Easter and Christmas. They sing amazing grace whenever they get together. They know all of the, uh, the, the forms and formats of religiosity. They got symbols, they got liturgies, they got incense, they got vestments. They got uh, written out uh, liturgical prayers. They got everything but Jesus. They're worshiping the serpent, the bronze serpent, the symbol instead of the, instead of the, 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 the reality. And folks, when religious symbols and or practices take on a life of their own, they need to be destroyed, just as Hezekiah destroyed the bronze serpent. It wasn't enough that the Israelites knew there was a snake on a pole. <laughs> they had to personally, by faith, look up to it as God's gracious provision for their sin. So too, it's not good enough just to be familiar with the cross, to name the name of Jesus to know words to hymns. <laughs> it's not enough. Everybody has to look up to him personally, by faith, accepting him as God's remedy for sin. Free gift of salvation. For Jesus said, as Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Brother Jerry showed us gorgeous pictures of some who have come to have eternal life in Tanzania and other places. We would be remiss if we didn't provide you here with the same opportunity. Could you bow your heads, therefore, and let me invite you to pray. Though eyes are closed, would you still look <laughs> up to Jesus with eyes of faith? Can you envision him coming, living, dying, rising up from the grave, waiting to be invited to inhabit your very life? Can you see him? 
in your place for your sin. Can you hear him beseeching the Father on your behalf? Father, forgive. Maybe you'll fill in your name here. Forgive because. Fill in your name again. Does not know what he has done. Maybe you'll look up with the eyes of faith and hear the Lord Jesus saying, come to me, all who are wearied by sin, heavy laden by how it has bitten you through your life. Maybe you'll hear him saying, come to me, you who are so burdened down by it all, and I will give you rest. Maybe this truth, there is salvation in no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Maybe, maybe you can see, you can see how real that is. Maybe you could say, oh God, I'm no different than the ancient Israelites. I'm just like them. I'm receiving of your goodnesses. And I don't even know you. Maybe you'll say, oh God, who has provided the world in which I live. Maybe you'll say, oh God, I want to know you personally and my sin has separated me from you. Sin. I'm snake bitten. I can't deny it. It isn't good. I'm burning because of it. Maybe you'll say, oh God, I want to know you tonight. Not just as creator, but as savior. Maybe you'll say, oh God, you high and lifted up. Thank you for sending your son to come down and then to be lifted up again, but on a cross for me. Maybe you'll say, come into my life, Lord Jesus. I accept your pardon for my sin. I accept your forgiveness. And oh God, would you take me unto yourself? Would you fashion me so as to be more like you? Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Is there anybody for whom that decision <laughs> is being impressed upon you tonight? Not by me, but by Almighty God. If so, I just want to pray for you. That's all. Would you slip up your hand? We don't normally do this, but I don't want salvation to take root in Tanzania and not in Houston. If there's someone who would like to make that decision, isn't it amazing and remarkable that God is a God of the grand invitation as he invited Israel to look and left them the option of not? So too he invites you to accept Jesus, his son, your sin substitute. If that's you, can you just slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Just want to make sure, make sure you're okay with God. With whom? You will have to make do. Anybody? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming down. Thank you for being willing to be lifted up on a cross. And oh God, we would be remiss if we thought you remained there because you were lifted up even from the cross.
to be the first fruits of life from death. And we follow suit. We identify by faith with you, Lord Jesus, in your death, in your burial, and this is great, in your resurrection as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being high and lifted up in clear view of us all, those of us who have seen you impaled on a cross in our place. Look forward to seeing you seated on a throne for others, for others. It will be a fearful enterprise, but avoidable. May there be not one in this place who refuses to look up to you, crucified Savior, for them. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.